The Glove by Robert Browning From the World's Best Poetry, Volume 7 Descriptive and Narrative, Part 2 Read for LibriVox.org by Thomas Peter as Peter Ronsard Adam Bialka as King Francis Katarina Glovala as The Lady And Sonia as The Wife The Glove Peter Ronsard Loquitur Hey-ho! Yawned one day King Francis. Distance all value enhances. When a man's busy, why, leisure strikes him as wonderful pleasure. Faith, and at leisure once is he. Straightway he wants to be busy. Here we've got peace, and aghast I'm caught thinking, war that true pastime. Is there a reason in meter? Give us your speech, Master Peter. I, who, if mortal dare say so, ne'er am at loss with my naso. Sire, I replied, joys prove cloudlets. Men are the merest Ixians. Here the king whistled aloud. Let's hey-ho, go look at our lions. Such are the sorrowful chances, if you talk fine to King Francis. And so, to the courtyard proceeding, our company, Francis, was leading, increased by new followers tenfold before he arrived at the penfold. Lords, ladies, like clouds which bedizen and sunset the western horizon, and Sir de Lorge pressed mid the foremost, with the dame he professed to adore most. Oh, what a face! One by fits eyed her, and the horrible pit side, for the penfold surrounded a hollow, which led where the eyes scarce dared follow, and shelved to the chamber secluded, where Bluebeard, the great lion, brooded. The king hailed his keeper, an Arab as glossy and black as a scarab, and bade him make sport, and at once stir up and out of his den the old monster. They opened a hole in the wirework across it, and dropped there a firework, and fled, one's heart's beating redoubled. A pause, while the pit's mouth was troubled, the blackness and silence so utter, by the fireworks slow sparkling and sputter. Then earth in a sudden contortion gave out to our gaze her abortion. Such a brute, where I friend Clement Merrill, whose experience of nature's but narrow, and whose faculties move in no small mist, when he versifies David the psalmist, I should study that brute to describe you, Ilum Juda Leonum de Tribu. Once her blood grew curdling and creepy to see the black mane, vast and heapy, the tail in the air stiff and straining, the wide eyes nor waxing nor waning, as over the barrier which bounded his platform, and us who surrounded the barrier, they reached and they rested on the space that might stand him in best stead. Or who knew, he thought, what the amazement, the eruption of clatter and blazement, and if, in this minute of wonder, no outlet mid lightning and thunder lay broad, and, his shackles all shivered, the line at last was delivered. Ay, that was the open sky overhead. And you saw by the flash on his forehead, by the hope in those eyes wide and steady, he was leagues in the desert already driving the flocks up the mountain, or cat-like couched hard by the fountain, to waylay the date-gathering negress, so guarded he entrance or egress. How he stands, quoth the king. We may well swear, no novice we've won our spurs elsewhere, and so can afford the confession we exercise wholesome discretion in keeping aloof from his threshold. Once hold you, 
Those jaws want no fresh hold. Their first would too pleasantly purloin the visitor's brisket or sirloin. But who's he who would prove so foolhardy? Not the best man of Marignan party. The sentence no sooner was uttered than over the rails a glove fluttered, fell close to the line, and rested. The dame t'was who flung it and jested with life so. The lord had been wooing for months past. He sate there pursuing his suit, weighing out with nonchalance, fine speeches like gold from a balance. Sound the trumpet, no true knight's a terrier. Delorge made one leap at the barrier, walked straight to the glove, where the lion ne'er moved, kept his far-reaching eye on the palm-tree-edged desert spring sapphire and the musky-oiled skin of the kaffir, picked it up and as calmly retreated, leaped back where the lady was seated, and full in the face of its owner flung the glove. Your heart's queen, you dethrone her? So should I, cried the king. T'was mere vanity. Not love set that task to humanity. Lords and ladies alike turned with loathing from such a proved wolf in sheep's clothing. Not so I, for I caught an expression in her brow's undisturbed self-possession amid the court's scoffing and merriment, as if from no pleasing experiment she rose, yet of pain not much heedful, so long as the process was needful, as if she had tried in a crucible to what speeches like gold were reducible, and finding the finest proof copper, felt the smoke on her face was but proper. To know what she had not to trust to was worth all the ashes and dust too. She went out mid hooting and laughter. Clement Mero stayed, I followed after, and asked, as a grace, what it all meant, if she wished not the rash deed's recallment. For I, so I spoke, am a poet. Human nature behooves that I know it. She told me. Too long had I heard of the deed proved alone by the word. For my love, what the Lord would not dare? With my scorn, what the Lord could compare? And the endless descriptions of death he would brave when my lip formed a breath, I must reckon as braved, or of course doubt his word, and moreover perforce, for such gifts as no lady could spurn must offer my love in return. When I looked on your lion, it brought all the dangers at once to my thought, encountered by all sorts of men, before he was lodged in his den, from the poor slave, whose club or bare hands, duck the trap, set snare on the sands, with no king and no court to applaud, by no shame should he shrink, overawed, yet to capture the creature made shift, that his rude boys might laugh at the gift, to the page, who last leaped o'er the fence of the pit on no greater pretense than to get back the bonnet he dropped, lest his pay for a week should be stopped. So wiser I judge it to make one trial what death for my sake really meant, while the power was yet mine, that to wait until time should define such a phrase not so simply as I, who took it to mean just to die. The blow a glove gives is but weak, does the mark yet discolour my cheek? But when the heart suffers a blow, will the pain pass so soon? Do you know? I looked as away she was sweeping, and saw a youth eagerly keeping as close as he dared to the doorway. No doubt that a noble should more weigh his life than befits a plebeian. 
And yet, had our brute been Nemian, I judge by a certain calm fervour the youth stepped with forward to serve her, he'd have scarce thought you did him the worst turn if you whispered, Friend, what you'd get, first earn. And when, shortly after, she carried her shame from the court, and they married, to that marriage some happiness, maugre, the voice of the court I dared augur. For de lord, he made women with men vie, those in wonder and praise, these in envy, and in short stood so plain a head taller that he wooed and won, how do you call her, the beauty that rose in the sequel to the king's love, who loved her a week well, and was noticed he never would honour de lord, who looked daggers upon her, with the easy commission of stretching his legs in the service, and fetching his wife from her chamber, those straying sad gloves she was always mislaying while the king took the closet to chat in. But, of course, his adventure came patten, and never the king told the story, how bringing a glove brought such glory. But the wife smiled. His nerves are grown firmer. Mine he brings now, and utters no murmur. Veniente ocurite morbo, with which moral I drop my theorbo. End of poem. This recording is in the public domain.